And good evening, Hampton Roads. Welcome to another edition of Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. I'm certified financial planner Kevin Zivna. Alongside me, as usual, CFP Allison Debril. Together, we come to you live every second and fourth Tuesday of the month to dialogue with you, take your calls. If you have a question or comment relating to your own personal financial situation, we'd love to hear from you. All we need is your first name, city you're calling from, and no matter what Allison and I are talking about, if it's important to you, then it's important to us. We'll get you right on air. 627-7979. That's 757-627-7979. Wealthway Financial Advisors is the proud sponsor of Dollars and Common Sense. We are an independent registered investment advisor, which means we're legally held to a fiduciary standard to put our clients' interests ahead of our own and any business dealing, and that's the way it should be when you work with a financial advisor. As the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. So by design, we can't work with everyone. We work with a relatively small group of high net worth individuals, but that's one of the reasons we feel so strongly about coming here every second and fourth Tuesday at 6 p.m., and that's to reach out and help as many people in the Hampton Roads listening area that we can achieve your measure of financial success, because it is a core belief at Wealthway Advisors that the overwhelming majority of people in this country have the opportunity for financial security if they choose it. And it is a choice because it takes some time, it takes some effort, and it takes some knowledge. We are here to help. you got to take that first step, though. Pick up the phone. Give us a call, 627-7979. Whether you want to talk about anything having to do with the investment markets, the economy, uh, insurance products like life insurance, health insurance, property casualty, taxes, tax planning, tax reduction strategies, retirement planning, Retirement plans, 401Ks, 403Bs, TSP, 457, IRAs, Roth IRAs, mortgage options, Social Security claiming strategies, or estate planning, wills and trusts. All that and more falls under the umbrella of personal finance we are here to discuss tonight. 757-627-7979. Happy Valentine's Day, Allison. Oh, happy Valentine's Day. Do you have like an IOU with your, your wife for tonight? <laughs> like, I'll we, make it up to you. We we are going away this weekend. Ah, so going oh. out to Charlottesville and Stanton region, doing some wineries and some dineries. Ooh, yes. <laughs> Be eating good food and drinking good wine out there for this weekend. Well, that sounds like a pretty good celebration. So. How, about, how about you? Uh, are you cooking your husband dinner or are you oh. buying him flowers? Or you, It's probably cause... left overnight at our house. Uh, Very yeah, romantic, right. I know. But you know, every day is Valentine's of Day. Of course, when in you're in house. love. Yes. Sure, it is. <laughs> Well, in the spirit of Valentine's Day, we thought we would talk about money and marriage tonight. Mm-hmm. Money is, I think, the number one issue that couples fight about and the second leading cause for divorce. So we wanted to put it out in the open tonight, talk about how to have a healthy relationship and work through money issues with your significant other. Yeah, in order to have a healthy uh, marriage, uh, marital relationship, it's important to have a healthy financial relationship with your spouse. And it is, I would say, very common that um, 
at least when it comes to the money aspects of coupling, uh, opposites do tend to attract. It is, mm-hmm. I have to say, more common that there is a spender and a saver, uh, and then there is, a, or there's maybe a um, detail-oriented penny penny pincher, and then somebody who's kind of just like see the pants and ah, it'll all work out. Um, there's some that care more about the the finances than others. Uh, some people don't want to hear, you know, don't want anything to do with it and leave all the decision making to the other person, which can work, but you have to also communicate effectively. So there's a lot of complicated dynamics that flow through a relationship because of money. And if you uh, have a healthy couple relationship with money, then chances are you're going to have a healthy relationship in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we want to first talk about how to have those conversations before you're married, and then we'll get into how to best navigate these differences and um, strategies while you're married. Yeah, if you can lay the groundwork before you uh, get married, then that usually goes a long way to smoothing out any differences over the long run. Better to get them out of the way up front then uh, find out after the fact. So we've got a few tips on that, and then we'll go into what you do after you get married. All right, but before we do that, we have a caller on the line. And as promised, when we get a call, we'll break into that. We're going to go up to Gloucester, speak with Carrie. Good evening, Carrie. You're on Dollars and Common Sense. Well, I'm, I have a tangibles. I have also my stock portfolio, and, I, and then there's Ave Maria, the fund. And I also have a house. Do you think that there's going to be a real estate crash or some kind of economic crash? I was wondering if there was. I'm thinking it might last for like two or three years. But with the, with the folding of globalism and the aging of populations, I, I was told that we might be able to expect a doubling of our manufacturing capacity and doubling of our farming capacity because we'll be supplying ourselves with everything from now on. But I'm wondering, do you see a a crash coming? And do you think silver would go up as well? Hmm. Okay, Carrie. Well, there's a a lot lot to dissect (laughs) dissect there, yeah. Uh, I think uh, globally what you're asking is, is there going to be a major economic um, crisis uh, that we're going to have to contend with in the near future? Um, I think the answer to that is no. Uh, I think there's concern around elevated inflation levels. That is true, and that is real, and that is happening now. But it's also known, and it's also being dealt with. Uh, It's being dealt with because the Fed is beginning to raise interest rates. Uh, Interest rates are needed to – rising interest rates are needed to tamp down on economic activity, which will help bring down the inflation, the elevated inflation levels. So when you have a known solvable problem, those things tend to get solved eventually. Um, it was true in 2022 that uh, we had a official bear market in on the U.S. Uh, stock exchange, at least on the S&P 500, uh, defined as a 20% or greater decline from some peak to a trough. That happened a couple times throughout 22. So in as much as, but we would consider that a routine 
bear market that happens on average once every six to seven years. So that's not we wouldn't consider that a crisis. We would consider that um, a temporary uh, nuisance or disappointment that can be managed through, uh, especially if you're still accumulating assets. So, so I don't see where there's any big, hugely negative economic conditions, forces at work here to create any sort of major crisis in the next three to five years. Uh, I think the the housing market does need to cool off a little bit. Housing prices should decline a little bit. We're starting to see some of that because of the rise in mortgage rates that's starting to reduce demand for housing. But that a modest price decline, uh, we had a good run in housing for you know at least five years, maybe 10 years. Uh, it would be natural to have a little bit of pullback, and new first-time home buyers would certainly welcome that. So uh, – we're pretty optimistic next three to five years. What that would do to silver, I'm not really sure. That's not really an asset class that we would consider as part of a portfolio. Was that helpful? It helps. It helps. Thank you. All right, Kerry, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. All right, why don't we step out here, take a short break, and then we'll jump back into some of the uh, tips for uh, marriage and money, how to keep your relationship healthy while you keep your finances healthy as well. If you got a question or comment relating to your own personal financial situation, jump on the phone lines, give us a call, 627-7979. She's Allison. I'm Kevin. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM790 WNIS. And welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. Alongside certified financial planner Allison DeBrill, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. We're from Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, look us up online at WealthwayAdvisors.com. All right, tonight we're talking about marriage and money, how you can be happy and successful with both. Yes, so if you are thinking about walking down the aisle and getting married, there are a few things you could do to set your marriage off on the right foot from a financial perspective. First of all, many couples don't even talk about money before marriage. I guess you're just all caught up up in the romance of it all and maybe money's taboo or you just don't think that you'll ever have any problems. So you don't feel the need to talk about money in the early days. But really... Not talking about money before getting married is risky. I'll just call it risky because you don't know what the other person has up their sleeve. Could be debt, could be assets. You don't know. And you don't know their thoughts and attitudes around money and what they value and how they manage it. So it's best to go in with your eyes open and have some deep conversations before heading down the aisle. Yes, I can tell you as somebody who spent my entire adult professional life in the money business, I don't know if there is another topic, another area of a person's life that drives more emotion than money and people's feelings about money towards money what they use money for how they value money or if they don't value money it's tied into so many other emotions power control independence freedom comfort 
all of that is in, intrinsically tied up with money. And so if you are if you are not aligned with your money philosophies, you most likely won't be aligned in other emotional areas of your life as well, and it will eventually come out. Yeah, so everybody has money mindset, you know, how you think about money and how you make your spending decisions. So it's a good idea to talk about that, talk about, you know, what your basic needs are and what what you consider to be a splurge or what's important to you Mm -hmm. and what your habits are, especially if you have debt. So you're going to want to come clean about any debt before walking down the aisle and getting married. You probably want to share an entire balance sheet, all of your finances, before you get married. Yeah, because uh, your debt will, in one way or the other, become your partner's debt. I mean, you'll both have to work to pay it off, most likely. So um, if that's if that's an issue, you need to disclose it so that you can go in with your eyes wide open. Now, to combine accounts or not to combine that is always the big question we get you know there's a a lot of different ways you can manage finances together as a couple and we see it done a lot of different ways but different uh, keeping your finances separate can create problems down the road long term with the way you think about your money as mine and his or hers versus thinking about it as ours. So we generally like the idea of combining finances and having joint household finances. And then maybe keeping a little bit ex or separate on the side for each of you for personal spending that you don't have to you know, ask or answer any questions about, you know, Valentine's Day gifts, perhaps, mm-hmm. flowers, chocolates, mm-hmm. trips. Cigars, football <laughs> trips. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you're going to want to have a conversation before you get married about how you want to handle your finances going forward, whether it's going to be jointly or separately. And we can dig into that a little bit more later on than it's true. Yeah, the best arrangement uh, that we've seen, if you're relatively young and your first marriage starting out with a kind of a clean slate, is three bank accounts. His account, her account, and our account, or the joint account. The majority of all household income, basically you're both paychecks, if you're both working, go into the joint account. And then you can nowadays electronically link to uh, the husband's individual account, the wife's individual account, and give yourself each a little allowance every week or two weeks or once a month or however you do it. And those, uh, the joint account is for communal uh, expenditures for the house and for the family and for a joint future. And then the smaller individual accounts are for um, discretionary spending that you don't have to ask the other party's permission for. So like Allison was saying, if you happen to like expensive cigars or bourbon uh, and and you want to go out and buy yourself that, Mm -hmm. uh, then you have the funds to do it. And your spouse does, you know, because it's not coming out of joint, doesn't need to get upset that you're spending money how she would not prefer. Likewise, maybe shoes. I don't know. Hair. Hair. hair I've heard. Well, the hair comes out of the joint in in my household. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to put that on the joint. Yeah. $250 (laughs) haircuts. I don't know even how that is possible. 
Anyway, so you might have to negotiate a little bit. On, this is why we talk these <laughs> right, things through. <laughs> right, on what's a joint purchase and what's an individual purchase. <laughs> but once you do, then that way you have, each have a little bit of uh, freedom and autonomy and control for your uh, uh, splurges. Uh, and the other person doesn't have to get angry or resentful because it's your own personal money. But most all the money, of course, comes out of that joint account. And uh, we got a caller on the line that probably wants to jump right in on this type of conversation. Carter in Virginia Beach. Good evening. You're on Dollars and Common Sense. Carter, are you there? Oh, we lost Carter. He had something to do with merging finances and early marriage, just what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. So... We definitely see couples that keep their finances completely separate. Um, sometimes that could be because it's a later in life marriage where Second marriage. You, you have been on your own financially your mm. whole life. You have you know maybe no kids together, kids, former marriage, and you each have your own assets already. And, and that can be okay. There can be a reason to keep things separate. But if you are just starting out in your marriage and you're early on in life, I think the joint mindset is the healthiest way to approach a marriage as a partnership where the family expenses come first. And then, of course, a little bit on the side, like you were saying, where you have autonomy. Yeah. And, and I do like the idea that each individual gets their own separate individual account that they don't have to ask permission for. That goes a long, long oh, way. It saves a lot of fights in keeping the peace, yeah. right, in the household, uh, especially when, when you know, maybe some months the money gets tight, right? And you know, you're like, well, groceries, electric bill, uh, gas in the car, and then somebody shows up at the house with, uh, you know, I don't know, a new big screen TV mm, that, that mm-hmm. you didn't need. Well. You know, then that's... There's the fight right right, there. Right there. Yeah. Right. Right there. Mm. Yep. And so when you are deciding whether to go down this road of combined finances or not, I think we generally would encourage combining unless there's extenuating circumstances or specific reasons not to. And it's a good idea to, dare I say it, work on a budget. I know the dreaded B word. I try to avoid this as much as possible because nobody likes a budget, but... You really should sit down early on and talk about what expenses are joint household expenses, what expenses would be considered personal, and you're going to see if you have any differences in values on what should what you should be spending money on versus what is not important. And you can work through those things on the front end before they happen or before you get too emotional about it. And an idea of how much and how you are going to save uh, and invest for the future. Some people are more free-flowing, easygoing, live for today, future will take care of itself. Other people are much more uh, goal-focused and future-oriented and would prefer to make sure that they have a good solid financial foundation for the future before they start spending lavishly on cars or furniture or vacations. And that value judgment you place on money and certain aspects of your life would definitely lead to arguments if not worked through. Right. You can't assume that you're on the same page. Right. Yeah. 
Okay, it's uh, all the time we have for the first half of the show. We're going to take a break right here for the news. We'll be back in just a few minutes after that. If you have a question or comment relating to your own personal financial situation or anything we're talking about here tonight, jump on the phone lines. Give us a call, 627-7979. She's Allison. I'm Kevin. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM790 WNIS. Welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. Alongside certified financial planner Allison DeBrill, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. We're from Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, you can check us out online at WealthwayAdvisors.com. Once there, you can also request an information packet to find out what it's like to work with us or sign up for a free quarterly newsletter at WealthwayAdvisors.com. Just go to the contact page, put your name and address in the dialog boxes there, select the appropriate drop-down menu, and we'll get that information out to you later on this week. And that's all we will use your name and address for is just to send you the information that you request. Or if you've got some nuanced questions and want to speak with a live human being, we got those too. You can give us a call at the office, 757-456-2200. want to remind everybody, our next show will be in two weeks on Tuesday, February 28th at 6 p.m. as usual. Uh, but if you can't catch us live every second and fourth Tuesday of the month at 6 p.m. or our rebroadcast on Saturday mornings following the show, then you can get the show as a podcast. Search for Dollars in Common Sense wherever you get your podcast. Download us. Take us with you wherever you go. And if you are on social media, we are too. We're on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can search for Wealthway Financial Advisors. Hit that like button. And at least once a week, we put up a financial planning-oriented post to hopefully uh, educate and inform you. All right, talking about love and money tonight on Valentine's Day, how much we love money. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you have a question or comment about that or anything having to do with your personal financial situation, jump on the phone lines, give us a call in the studio, 757-627-7979. Right now we're going to run out to Virginia Beach and speak with Tom. Good evening, Tom. You're on Dollars and Common Sense. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm going to mess up your Valentine's theme a little bit (laughs) my my question is about uh, um, social security after divorce I was married for for 20 years and been divorced for 10 I'm just wondering how I've heard that I can collect off of my ex-wife's insurance and she off of mine I'm just wondering how that works and and if I can collect off of hers if I was a higher income earner Mm -hmm. Good question, Tom. So you said a couple key points. You said you were married for 20 years, so that's good because to file on an ex-spouse's Social Security record, you have to have been married for at least 10 years, so you check that box, and you have to have been in divorce for at least two years before you could get any benefit, so it sounds like you check that box as well. Now, the um, the details come down to whose benefit is 
larger because once you claim that's going to be your benefit for the rest of your life and it will you'll want to default to whichever benefit is the higher of the two benefits so do you do you know whose benefit is higher that that would be mine that's pretty much almost answered everything i had to ask there yeah that's what i was curious about you used to be able to file a lesser benefit and just let yours grow that was called the file and suspend strategy but that went away a couple years ago with a a tax law because it was a really good deal so they caught on to that so you no longer have the option to switch between benefits when you're divorced you can just claim the higher of the two but regardless claiming on an ex-spouse's benefit won't impact them and it won't impact you it's not um it's not even anything they would know about if you did it not even notified Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. You just answered two of my questions. Is would I know if she was using mine, and would it affect mine? So you've answered all my questions yeah. quite no well. No and no. You would not know, and it would not affect yeah. yours. Mm-hmm. Hmm, I'm really surprised it wouldn't affect, but that's great. Mm-hmm. Good to know. All right, I was thinking. I was thinking maybe I could collect a few extra dollars, but yeah, not, not if you're the higher earner. Then your your best bet is just to go on your own record. Okay, I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Okay, Tom, thanks for the call. We appreciate that as well. 757-627-7979 if you want to jump in on the conversation. Well, an update, uh, marriage and money top, back to the marriage and money topic. I've uh, officially gotten a thumbs down veto on putting haircuts <laughs> on the joint budget. <laughs> so someone's listening <laughs> right now. <laughs> right. Well, obviously, I've, I'm doing it wrong in my household. <laughs> I tell you, the haircut budget is very imbalanced. Yeah. When, when mine is like $18 right. at 20 with the tip. Right. Then and and I'm looking at 250 on the other side of the ledger. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's no. Um, I don't know if there it. is. No, I'm not sure there is <laughs> see, actually see, a way to balance it out. Exactly <laughs> what we're talking about. <laughs> right. These are the issues. These little that annoyances come up. and then they yeah. build up after right. a while. So one of the big things we've been talking about is open communication. So don't keep details too close to the vest. Usually there's one person that's more involved in the finances than the other, or there's um, someone who wants to do the day-to-day management of the budget or the income and the expenses, and the other person doesn't care, doesn't want to know. Well, we recommend that both people still be present, have a seat at the table for those conversations. And when we work with clients, we really insist that both clients come in for financial planning meetings. Even if one spouse really does not want to deal with the details, they need to know what's going on so that they have some buy-in to the strategy and the plan. Yeah, we always say uh, to our clients that we work with you as a couple as long as you are a couple. And both people need to be present at the majority of all of our meetings because like Allison said even if one person is sort of the the money person of the family of the household and does the bill paying and all the technicalities and administration around the finances the other party has to be in the room to hear the conversations to understand why the recommendations get made and understand the decisions that get made from from those it has to be a team approach mm-hmm. And I would suggest maybe weekly 
meeting sit downs weekly i know i know well so we we did this we did weekly sit downs for years and years and discussed you know where we were every week it was more like stop spending you stop spending (laughs) (laughs) in a loving way of course (laughs) Um, but you know now we're to the point where we can do monthly meetings and Mm check-ins just a little temperature check to see where we are and if we're on track with our short-term goals our medium-term goals and our long-term goals how many cocktails are involved oh there's cocktails always (laughs) it's always around cocktail hour right you don't want to do it around coffee hour (laughs) no not first thing in the morning no no no. so cocktail hour budget meetings that's what i suggest okay (laughs) all right so we've been talking about money and marriage how how to approach combining your finances when you're married whether you're going to do a joint account or you're going to keep your finances completely separate. One of the biggest keys is communication, setting expectations together so that everybody's on the same page. Because money is one of the, I think it is the number one issue that couples fight about. We could bring, we could make it a little more interesting and introduce kids into the topic. Which always complicates the issue, <laughs> right? No matter what you're talking about, when kids are involved, but add kids and money, and now that you know that brings up a great point because they're how you choose to raise your children and the philosophy around parenting your children has a lot to do with money. If somebody wants to shower the kids with a lot of gifts and clothes and uh, money without responsibility, uh, in other words, you know, gifting money instead of an allowance type of situation, that is obviously going to be in conflict to somebody who has a different philosophy on child raising and thinks that children should be taught how to earn money and have a stake in what they do in order to get money as they're developing. Um, those are going to be at, at odds. And so you put parenting styles with financial motivations philosophies right yeah it's a cauldron for you know it's a recipe for for potential fireworks i'm sure like you know 98 percent of people listening are nodding their heads going that at some point or another we've had these types of disagreements Mm -hmm. yeah whether you're just going to you know provide whatever is needed for the kids whether it's a want versus a need or whether you're going to set up an allowance system or you know just pay for certain things and make them work for other things most people are coming at this from different perspectives i mean how you were raised is going Mm -hmm. probably different and is probably going Mm -hmm. to significantly impact how you think your children should be raised Mm -hmm. so having these conversations on the front end are are really it's a really good idea mm-hmm. i like the idea of allowance because um not just from a budgeting perspective for the parents but because it it is a tool to help children learn about how to handle money mm-hmm. and you can start it really at any point i've heard the mm-hmm. the suggestion of a dollar for each year so mm-hmm. obviously you're not going to pay your one-year-old a dollar allowance mm-hmm. but you know maybe you're starting in in the teens eight, nine, or double digits yeah exactly and they could do simple chores around the house mm-hmm. and get uh, two or three dollars a week or something like that that they should and that's a good time if you do give your kids allowance of you know sort of a of a meaningful allowance call it call it like five dollars a week something like that then a great exercise is 
$1 to save goes into the bank, $1 goes to charity of the child's choice, and $3 are left for the child to spend at their own discretion. And that is teaching them good, healthy, uh, meaningful financial habits that can last a lifetime. Yeah, I think that's a great idea to teach about money young and to teach the power of saving and Mm. giving. I mean, those are really powerful lessons to learn at an early age that will hopefully stick with them. And then that can maybe smooth over some of the the different parenting style approaches when it comes to money. All right, we're going to step out, take our last break break here of the hour. We're going to be right back in just a couple minutes. If you want to jump on the phone lines, give us a call, 757-627-7979. She's Allison. I'm Kevin. You're listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM 790 WNIS. Welcome back to Dollars and Common Sense, your local source for objective, unbiased financial advice. Alongside certified financial planner Allison DeBrill, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. We're from Wealthway Financial Advisors, the premier financial planning firm in Hampton Roads, where we integrate expert investment management with customized ongoing financial planning advice to help our clients answer life's big financial questions and enhance their quality of life. For more information about us, look us up online at WealthwayAdvisors.com. Once there, you can request an information packet to find out what it's like to work with us or sign up for a free quarterly newsletter at WealthwayAdvisors.com. Just go to the contact page, put your name and address in the uh, dialog boxes, select the appropriate drop-down menu, and we'll get that information out to you later on this week. Or if you want to call us at the office, speak to a live human being, 456 2200. Our next live show will be in two weeks on Tuesday, February 28th at 6 p.m. as usual. But if you can't catch us live every second and fourth Tuesday of the month, get this show as a podcast. Search for Dollars and Common Sense wherever you get your podcast. Download us, take us with you wherever you go, and listen at your leisure. All right, talking about marriage and money tonight. If you have a question about that or want to jump in on the conversation, give us a call in the studio line 627-7979. Right now we're going to go out to Virginia Beach and speak with Lynn. Good evening, Lynn. You're on Dollars and Common Sense. Hi. um, My husband's retirement fund was set up as a self-directed IRA, and we were told that we could not take any losses for tax purposes. Just wanted to see if that's correct. And when you say self-directed IRA, you mean uh, like you control the investment choices in the IRA, right? Absolutely, yes. Yes. Well, yes. So the short answer is yes, you cannot take any uh, losses on investments that have declined within an IRA. You also don't pay any tax on profit on investments that you sell for a gain in IRA. All the buying, selling, gain, loss activity is protected from taxation inside the IRA wrapper. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Well, so hopefully, ho- that, answers hopefully that answers Lynn's question. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the benefits of an IRA or 401k or retirement account is that it is tax sheltered. So you don't have to pay tax on the gain, but conversely, you don't get to deduct any losses. Now, a taxable brokerage account, on the other hand, each year you're going to pay tax on the gain and you could potentially deduct losses from any losses. And that would be reported on your 1099 tax form, which should be coming out soon. I know we have a lot of people wondering when they're going to get their 1099s. It should be in the next week or two. Yeah, and that deadline for a lot of custodians now has been pushed back um, to uh, mid to late February is when we start seeing them. Uh, also, another note uh, about that, Lynn, that the taxation part of the IRA is when money comes out of the IRA, traditional IRA. When the money comes out, that's when it gets taxed as ordinary income. So just a little clarifying point there. All right, we're going to stay in Virginia Beach and speak with David. Good evening, David. You're on Dollars and Common Sense. Uh, how are you, sir? Thank you. Uh, two questions. One, uh, if you have an emergency fund, uh, what is the next... We only have a little bit left over. What's the next best thing we should be investing our money in? And the second thing is, uh, when is it better to take Social Security, early or late? Mm. Mm, Well, the second one's loaded. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Good one. Well, David, uh, tell me, so you, you have an emergency fund and you're looking for the next best vehicle to save into. Are you still working? I'm still working, yes. I will have a, a pension, but I am... Uh, not too far from retirement. Okay. And how's the debt situation? Any uh, consumer debt like credit cards or store cards or high-interest car loans? Medical medical debt and uh, mortgage. Okay. Medical debt, uh, is that uh, something that's been financed? No. Okay. So you just uh, have to pay it back over just time. Money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I want a kid uh, a couple of... Uh, with a uh, congenital thing, so it's just to pay it over time, right? Okay. Okay. Do you have access to a company-sponsored retirement plan through your work? Uh, yes. Does your company contribute any matching contributions? If you put in a dollar, do they put anything in? No. No matching. Okay. No, ma'am. All right. Well, typically, emergency reserve is the very first priority, so good job having that. Then we would typically recommend contributing to company-sponsored retirement plans if there's any matching because you want to get matching dollars. Uh, That's essentially free money. In your case, if you don't have any specific matching, that gives you a little bit more flexibility. You you don't have to use your company-sponsored retirement plan. You could possibly consider doing an IRA or a Roth IRA, depending on your income. Um, Those two vehicles are subject to income limitations, but that would be a good way to maybe save in a tax-protected wrapper for retirement long-term. Yeah, you want to make sure if you do put the money into an IRA that that's generally untouchable, at least psychologically, uh, until you are at least age 59 and a half in order to withdraw it without penalty. And if you're past that age, then uh, you're then you're fine there. The contributions you make, you can withdraw um, uh, uh, anytime without the 10% penalty. 
if that were an issue, then a regular brokerage account or a mutual fund directly with a mutual fund company like Vanguard or Fidelity or TD Ameritrade or Schwab, after the emergency fund and all the high interest rate debt is paid off, that's when you want to look to get the money into long-term growth-oriented investments. Okay. Thank you. All right. Now, Social Security? Yes, David. If you can tell me exactly how long you're going to live, I will tell you exactly when to claim Social Security. We can do this. Yeah. (laughs) It's such a complicated decision. It really, really depends on your entire financial situation that we couldn't possibly give any advice on the radio about that. Um, It does really depend on your life expectancy. So if you think you have a, a high possibility of living into your mid to late 80s, then that argues for maybe claiming a little later rather than sooner. But the rest of your financial situation really plays into that. You know, when are you going to retire? What is your income going to be in retirement? Do you need the money now versus later? So I would, my best advice is to find a financial advisor that could look at the big picture for you and help you kind of narrow down your claiming options on Social Security. Okay, thank you. I've, I've also heard about uh, some type of, uh, well, I've just over the radio, different things on life insurance, some types of being a, a way to save money. Can you explain that at all? Mm. Well, probably not in the one minute that we have left, David. I'm sorry, but uh, we certainly could, uh, you know, we'll be back in two weeks, <laughs> Tuesday, February 28th, and you can throw that out there again. But generally speaking, we think life insurance as a vehicle should be used for life insurance purposes primarily, if not exclusively, and that it does not make, no matter how it's sliced, diced, or manufactured, it does not make for a great investment type of vehicle. So I'll just leave it uh, at that for now because that's all the time we have for tonight. But we will be back in two weeks on Tuesday, February 28th at 6 p.m. live. Uh, So uh, make note on your calendar there. If you want more information about us in the meantime, look us up online at wealthwayadvisors.com. For certified financial planner Allison DeBrill, I'm CFP Kevin Zivna. You've been listening to Dollars and Common Sense on AM 790 WNIS.